The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of when Jesus found me All my heart was full of misery and woe Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me And he led me in the way I ought to go No one ever cared for me like Jesus, there's no other friend so strong as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. from me 
how much he cared for me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the NIV, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. But now let me read verse 12 from the King James Version. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a war on, and you are involved in that war whether you are conscious or unconscious. And the destiny, your destiny, will be determined by the outcome of that war with these spiritual powers. If they win, they will take you to hell with them. If you allow Jesus to win in you and for you, He will take you eternally to be in the kingdom of heaven where you will rejoice with him and with the saints forever. The outcome is beyond our imagination, both on the pain and suffering and darkness of hell and on the other side, the glories and the joy that is set before us in the heavenly realm. I'm going to share with you a truth today that is so simple, and yet it is so utterly profound, that most of us, including me, have missed it for most of my life. I was raised in a family of three boys and a mother and a father. Mother and dad, pardon me, mother and dad both worked. Dad at that point was a salesman for the W.T. Raleigh Company, and my mother was a bacteriologist in a local hospital. They were often not at home because they were working. And I was left in the care of my oldest brother, who is five years older than I am. As we grew up in that family, we were provided with shelter, with food, with clothing, 
and with a great deal of of love. A great deal of scripture and prayer and a great deal of discipline. I began to transition in my high school years during the summertime beginning to work. First at summer camps and then becoming a lifeguard and a swimming instructor, an archery instructor. And I would work the summers and earn money to help pay for my high school education, which was in a Christian boarding school. And so I early made that transition to a boarding academy and then off to college where again I worked to earn money for my college education. Visiting home maybe two or three times a year, the rest of the time working or going to school. And then after graduation, receiving a scholarship for my Master's of Divinity, and included in that scholarship was a full tuition, books, and living expenses. And then transitioning from graduate school into a congregation where I became their pastor. It was a gradual loosening of the bonds with my family and increasingly being what I considered to be independent. Now in my mature years, I've reflected a great deal on what my parents gave for me. The sacrifices that they made that I simply took for granted. No one ever asked me if I thought they were sacrificing, but they sacrificed to send me away to a Christian boarding school, and then they helped sacrifice to send me to a Christian college. And then by seminary, I had other sources of income. And of course, once being a pastor, I was on full salary. Now, why is that important? It's important because I thought I was entitled to a livelihood. I thought I was entitled to the home I lived in. In fact, I complained a bit because as I would visit other friends in other parts of the country in high school, I would see that they lived in very beautiful homes. And I lived in a very poor, small, small home. I once asked my father, why can't we have a home like others have? And his kind reply was, Raymond, we could live in homes like others are living in, but I'm using the money Jesus gives me to support Christian radio and missions 
the work of the church. I'm giving my money to Jesus, so I have laid up in heaven a great treasure. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. I didn't know what to do with that answer, and so it was just there. But as I've thought about this whole issue, and it's, it's very sharp in my heart today, we need to get some kind of clear understanding in our mind about where our source of life is, where our source of nurturance comes from, where, where does our food come from? Where does our housing come from? Where do the things of necessity, transportation, where do these things come from? Well, you might superficially just say, they come from my working heart. They come because I earn money. And it's my money. I earned it. There is a battle between good and evil. And as we grew up, we learned how to engage in that battle by some of us equipping ourselves with college and even graduate degrees so that we could secure a good job and provide for ourselves. But what I'm trying to get at is that Most of us have had a sense in our inner being of satisfaction that we can take care of ourselves, that we know how to earn money, that we can find work, that we have money put away so that if hard times come, we can survive that. That's how I grew up. But that's not the heart of the issue. Let me read for you the passage of Scripture we spent most of last week on. And I have to confess to you, there are some Scriptures I just keep going back to because I sense in my spirit that I'm missing a part of what is being said there. And I need to understand from God's perspective who I am and what I'm doing, where I'm going. Jesus said, and they're walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after the Passover supper, the last, the last supper. <clears throat> and he says to the disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, I shared last Thursday that if he's the true vine, There are other vines that are not true vines. They are temporary vines. And if in our heart we know how to scramble and get attached to another vine, and when we get let go there, we know how to scramble and get to the next vine, we make wise business choices 
career choices, saving choices, investment choices. Hopefully, by the time you're old, you'll have enough money put away so that you can live. Most in America don't. Many have no savings. And if met with a four or $500 crisis in a car repair, they would have to borrow the money to pay for that because they don't have any money put away. He says, I am the true vine. In other words, these other vines, we need to be very careful. Are they a part of the spiritual powers of darkness? I'm going to expand that. He says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus is literally talking about where does your source of food flow from? Where does your source of housing flow from? Where does your source of clothing flow from? Remember, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things that the pagans run after will be given unto you. He was talking about food and housing and all the things we need with our physical bodies to survive. And he's saying, put his top priority in your life, the kingdom of God, the royal authority of God exercised over your life. That's what, that's what it means. The kingdom of heaven is not a physical kingdom. Not now, but it will be when it's realized in heaven and on a new earth. But right now, it's a spiritual kingdom. But he's saying, seek ye first that spiritual kingdom, that kingdom of God, where the authority of God rules over you. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, the innocence of God, the absence of sin, as in God the Father. So we have to come back and say, who am I dependent upon for my life? Who am I dependent upon for my food and my shelter and very practical things like medical aid? automobile, house, heat, water, air conditioning. Who am I dependent upon for all of these things? And very superficially, you could quickly say, well, it's I'm dependent on my job. 
but that is superficial. Because your job never set out to take care of you. They're trying to produce a product. They're trying to produce something that will earn them money. And you're helping them earn that money, and so they give you a small share of what they're bringing in to cover their costs. But what they really want is a profit. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm saying, take a moment now and just consider, who are you dependent upon? Where does your life flow from? Let's take, for example, a husband and wife come together as a couple. They're married. She doesn't work. She doesn't work outside of the home. And she may not even work in the home. She may just be free to roam. Where does her nurturance come from? Where does her housing come from? Well, it comes from her husband, who does hold a job and who does bring in resources. But what happens now if she says, I can do anything I want to do. I can go anywhere I want to go. I can make any appointments I want to make. I'm free. Is she really free? It appears that she's free because someone else is paying her way. And she thinks she's entitled to do whatever she thinks she wants to do. And she's equal with her husband. It could be just the opposite. It could be the wife is working and the husband is out just enjoying life and doing whatever he chooses to do, whatever his interests happen to be. Is he really free? No, he is dependent upon his spouse's income. Now, hopefully, between husbands and wives, there is a mutual partnership where they're both there to help each other. And it doesn't really matter if the flow of finances comes through one or the other if they're both there carrying out the responsibilities of building the kingdom of God and building a healthy, happy home where children can be raised in a godly manner. I know of one family where the husband works so hard, but the wife is homeschooling her children. They have four children. Well, they have formed a partnership that works, and there's great love between them. As they have totally submitted to Jesus, and then together in partnership, work for the building up of the kingdom of God, first as it's expressed in their family unit, and then as it's expressed among friends and neighbors and non-Christians as they bear testimony and witness about who Jesus Christ is. So the heart of what I'm trying to get at today is that Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's saying, look, if your nurturance comes from anywhere other than me, 
Remember Jesus said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. He's saying, you eat my body and drink my blood, and he's speaking spiritual. This is spiritual words he's speaking. But it's very practical. He's saying, look, make me the very heart and center of your life and of your sustenance and of your life forces. And if you'll do that and you'll serve me, you will bear much fruit for me. And again, the fruit, as we've shared in way of review, is in two ways. Galatians, in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. And then secondly, as Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men in the salvation of the lost. He wants both kinds of fruit in your life. He wants you to win people to Jesus and disciple them. And he wants you to develop and let the Holy Spirit bring forth in you the fullness of who Jesus is. Now, most of us, and I include myself here, have thought that I could go out and find my work and that somehow I was self-sustaining. May I please say to you, none of us are self-sustaining. No one is self-sustaining. We need the mighty sustaining power of Jesus Christ as he brings to us the people he wants us to know, as he brings to us the work he wants us to do, as he brings to us the spouse he wants us to live with, as he brings to us the children he wants us to bear. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. That's what James says. Comes out of heaven. This is a very dangerous thing for us to begin to imagine that somehow we're entitled to food and shelter. We're entitled to money. You owe me. When you begin to sense entitlement in your life, you know then that you are, as Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, you are now resting in the powers of darkness. A true Christian will not ever have this sense of entitlement. It just won't be a part of his heart. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil has rigged the game. Did you hear me? The devil has rigged the game so that you can imagine 
that you have the right to be what you want to be, to go where you want to go. Isn't this what happened in the Garden of Eden when the devil said to Eve, you shall not surely die, but you shall become like gods. And so freely partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you're in charge of determining for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And you don't need to be dependent upon anybody. You are independent. Just go out and take whatever fruit happens to be there. It belongs to you. And you have a right to it. Wrong. Could not be more wrong. Somehow it's come to a place where we don't even respect the place where we gain our livelihood. We don't respect the person who helps supply us with our basic necessities. We think we're entitled. I've had to come now very firmly into an understanding that I'm not entitled to anything from anybody. I'm not entitled to love. I'm not entitled to take what I think I might want. I'm not entitled to a house or to a car. I'm not entitled to money. I'm not entitled to life. All that I have and all that I am has come from the hand of God. And with great fear and trembling and with reverence, I come before him and I acknowledge that all of my loyalty belongs to him, that all of my love belongs to him, that all of my work All of my energy, my family, all that I have, I was given by the Father in heaven. And I'm not entitled to it. And there's no room for pride or arrogance or harshness of heart. There's no room for thinking I'm somebody. I'm not. I'm nobody. All that I have was given to me by Jesus. Now, he used different people to give that to me. He brought about different circumstances to ensure that I would be cared for. But it wasn't me. And one of the great sorrows of my heart is that I didn't become wise enough regarding this to ever sit down with my father before he died and tell him how grateful I am for the gift of spiritual life that he bestowed on me. Never forget the day when dad was coming close to death. He called me on the telephone. He was in western Pennsylvania and I was in Washington, D.C., And he said to me, Ray, I bless you in the name of Jesus. 
all I could do was weep, for I knew he was close to death. I just visited him. When he said, I bless you in the name of Jesus, he was acknowledging that everything he'd given me had come to him from the hand of Jesus. I was not grateful as I should have been. I was arrogant and proud. I disappointed my father in many ways. But before he died, he said, I bless you, Ray, in the name of Jesus. And it's true that all that I have came through precious men and women. All that I have came from the hand of Jesus using different instrumentalities to bring it to me. But I am not entitled to any of it. I'm not entitled to this radio broadcast. And the day may come when the Lord says, okay, go off air. Right now, I'm able to remain on the air because people like you reach out and give and contribute. A precious believer just sent a check for the work of the gospel for Pilgrim's Progress for $200. I'm so grateful. I'm not entitled to that gift of 200 It was not to me. It was to Jesus. It's to pay for this radio broadcast. I've just sent off the check to pay for last month. Almost $4,000. Some of the pledges were very slow coming this month. And that's okay. But some of you sacrificed incredibly. And you made it possible for me to continue doing this radio broadcast. But I don't have a sense of, you owe me. Or Jesus owes me. Or Weva owes me. But he owes me anything. It all comes from the hand of Jesus. If it doesn't come from the hand of Jesus, it comes from the powers of darkness. I only want that which comes from the hand of Jesus. Now he says, every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes. And I spoke to you last Thursday. Please go back and listen. I spoke about pleading with the Father to finish the pruning work in my heart. And part of the finishing of that pruning work was to bring to my attention what I've had to repent of in the last days, and that is every semblance of self-sufficiency and every semblance of entitlement. I hear some preachers speak with arrogant and elegant words, causing everyone to laugh, entertaining, and I shudder in my heart. 
I can't do that. This is too serious. I don't come trying to give you information. I come trying to call you into Jesus to know him and to know the Father. The word to know simply means intercourse, coming together as one, one and the other. He goes on, remain in me, and I will remain in you. So the the nurturance flows out of the vine into the branches and bears fruit. And the false foliage, the foliage that's just pretty to look at but doesn't bear any grapes and doesn't supply anything to the vine, those are cut off. The foolishness is cut off. It says, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Do you see the branches are not causing the fruit to be born. It's the nurturance that is flowing out of the vine into the branches. But the branches don't cause the fruit to be born. It's it's that moving life. Now, what's terrifying about all of this, let, let me read it for you. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I see some of you withering. Now, the withering doesn't happen overnight. The withering takes place as you're separated from Jesus and you try to graft yourself into some function, some thing in the world. And some of you are trying to be grafted into Jesus, but you're grafted into gaming. You're grafted into entertainment. You're grafted into other things. So there is a mixed flow. And of course, that results in the branches dying and bearing no fruit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I want to demonstrate once and for all that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want that to be seen in the way I act, in the words I speak, in the humility of my heart. I want that to be visible. I want there to be a crowd who will go to heaven with me, not because of me, but because of the vine doing its work through an insignificant branch that will bear fruit under the kingdom of God. He says, as the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. In other words, you don't remain in love in the source of your food and shelter and car and clothes. You don't remain if you cut yourself off and think you're entitled and go do your own deal and live your own life. What happened in the Garden of Eden is that the branch chose to cut itself off from the vine and to graft itself into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there is no life in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is only life in the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. There's no life in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the devil's tree. How do I say this to you? If you choose deliberately to cut yourself off from the person that flows to you, your resources, the immediate person and the person directed by Jesus, then you will have to go and put yourself as a branch into another source of nurturance you will disobey the word of the Lord to you. In simplest terms, you will not obey the Lord's commands. You will say, the Lord didn't say that to me. I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm going to go my own way. As soon as you do that, you have identified yourself with the powers of darkness. And you are beginning to wither. And you will die, and you will be cut off, will be lost for you. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world. I want you to make that very clear understanding in your heart. Do you or do you not belong to the world? In other words, where is your source of nourishment that sustains your life? Is it in the scripture reading, in the prayer closet, listening to godly messages, and acting in accordance with the word of God to you? Or is it in the wickedness of this world and the entertainment of this world and the things of this world the world, the flesh, and the devil, where is your life grounded? Where is it plugged in? Where is it grafted in? Where do your responsibilities lie? How do you, how do you understand your life? Now, part of what I want to say is I've 
been looking at all of this today. There is one certainty beyond all others. And that is that you can go out and create for yourself your own life if you have the skills, the talents, and the connections. If you have the right education, if, you, if you're willing to go and work hard, you can do all manner of work and get enough money, hopefully, to sustain your life. Some have not been able to, and they're on the streets of this great city as homeless people, waiting on handouts from others. Some freeze to death in the winter, have heat strokes in the summer. But if you're able to maintain your living, your livelihood, and your lifestyle, it looks as though everything's going well for you. The problem is, we all die. I just got a, an email from a dear friend telling me that one of my favorite people from high school just died of of lung cancer. That's the reality. All of us have but a short probation time to live in this world and to get connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, and to choose to remain in that vine. Many of you have decided that you're going to go out and make your own way and trust your own thoughts and your own skills. The problem is you're going to get old or you're going to get sick and you're not going to be able to take care of yourself and you're going to die. And then you're going to go before the judgment bar of God and he's going to ask, what did you do with your life? And he's going to say, let's look at your actions. And if those actions revealed that you were in league with the powers in the heavenly realms of darkness, that you never struggled against them to get free to belong to Jesus and to walk in righteousness, then you will be cast into the fire of hell. That's what the 15th chapter of of John says as Jesus is coming to the very end. He's speaking very clearly, even though he's speaking figuratively with the vine. His message is very clear. If you don't choose today to be in the vine, Jesus, and to obey his commands and to walk clean before him, if you choose to walk in your fornication or your pornography, or you choose to walk in your whatever the wickedness of choice is, and you think you're independent, and you think people owe you a living, and you think you have a sense of entitlement, and you can go where you want to go and do what you want to do, even calling yourself a Christian in the great day of judgment. You'll be gathered together, and the angels will pick you up and cast you into the fires of hell. So it is of great concern to me today that we be very, very clear with one another. Are you living grafted into Jesus Christ, obeying his commands, walking in accord with his will, conscious of his presence, 
praising and worshiping Him, acknowledging His name before those you work with, not walking with a sense of entitlement, oh, I think I'll go here today and I'll go there tomorrow and and I'm on my own and I can do what I want to do. No, you can't. Not if you want to go to heaven. Not if you want to go to heaven. We were bought at a price, the scriptures tell us in the letter to the first Corinthians. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. You don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. And if you take yourself out and you connect yourself with false sources of nurturance, with a sense of entitlement, with pride, with arrogance, with hardness of heart. If you do that, you have stolen yourself from God. You are a thief of the worst kind. I want Jesus. I want in every way to obey his commands and to remain in him, remain in his love. Jesus obeyed the Father's commands and he remained in the Father. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends and you are my friends if you do what I command. So there we have it. He is the true vine. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is temporary life as you wither and you die. And some die early in life and some die later in life. But everyone is going to die except those who are grafted into Jesus. And then they will be taken into the heavenly realm. They'll live forever with Jesus. I've had to examine my life very carefully. And I found areas where I still had a sense of entitlement. And I've had to repent of that. I found areas where I thought I had to be right. And that others should have to agree with me. I had to repent for that. There is no one good save save God alone. So I've had to recognize that there's no good thing that dwells in me, in my flesh, but that Jesus Christ is willing to dwell in me and all goodness will dwell and my actions will be righteous and good because it's Jesus in me. Let's pray. Lord, I have such a stirring in my heart for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this broadcast that they would give up all sense of entitlement, all sense of independence from you, all rebellion, that, Lord, they would fight against these spiritual powers, that they would put on the full armor of God and stand against these demonic powers that would lie to them 
and try to convince them that they're in charge of their own life. Lord Eve was not in charge of her own life. She died. And with her death, she passed on sin, even as Adam did. Lord, have mercy upon each of your children today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley. I'm from the National Prayer Chapel. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I'd love to hear from you. If the Lord moves in your heart to contribute toward this month's radio bill, would you make that check out now? Send it to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can follow us on the YouTube. We're streaming live every day. You can go to Facebook. You can go to Twitter, National Prayer Chapel, or Pastor Ray Greenley. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can donate on PayPal. And I thank the many of you who do that. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.